to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. There's no gold medal match for the Matildas, but there is still a medal on the line after the girls went down 1-0 to Sweden in the semi-final. It's been a big 24 hours on top of a big two weeks, to be fair. So we're going to try and take you through the last two weeks, but specifically this semi-final. Look at what happened, look at what didn't happen, and look ahead to the fact that we still have a chance at a first ever medal in football for Australia. So it's me, Marissa Lodanik, Anna Harrington, Sam Lewis and Angela Christian Wilkes taking you through this game. So let's start. I think we do need to just, as like a general disclaimer, I'm pretty sure everyone listening to this will feel the same way. We're sad. <laughs> it's sad when you lose and it's sad when you lose the chance to play for a gold medal. But there's still some really, really positive things that we can take from this game. But let's begin with a check-in. I have seen lots of people on Twitter basically say that they've had bosses and friends basically either message them or ask them at work, how are you doing? I saw the Matilda's result last night. How are you doing? So to the three of you, how are you doing? I'm tired and sad. And we were talking about this before. Um, we're all tired and sad. And imagine how the Matildas are feeling if we're tired and sad from uh, going through the last couple of weeks and all the, the roller coaster. And um, yeah, I think Tony Gustafson, his presser post match, actually summed it up best that he said how much it hurt. He was so proud of how brave and sort of gutsy and attacking minded his players were. They took it up to Sweden all night. And I agree all of that. And it was just the way that we lost. Um, obviously there was the disallowed goal, which we'll go into in greater detail, which took the wind out of the sus. But the Sweden goal was such a rubbish sucker punch. Like, And Tony actually said this post-match, he basically said, if it, was a worldie or an incredible attack, then, you know, hats off to Sweden. But to cop a goal, like, let's let's look at it. Um, Angler takes a shot. It's blocked by Chloe Legazzo. Well, partially blocked. So what, 99 times out of 100, that ball goes out for a corner, is deflected back the other way, is blocked and holds up and there's a bit of a skirmish. Instead, it takes this insane, wicked deflection and... Then just in the Tegan Micah gets the save, but it can only go into the crossbar. And in the chaos, Rolfo just invents this insane finish to, to put it away. Like such a sucker punch straight after halftime when we've been on top going into the break. And we know how good Sweden are. If you defensively, like if you listen to our pod with friend of the pod, Mia Ericsson, she talks about how just solid defensively they are. And that's stacked up through the tournament. So it felt like we were up against it as soon as. Um, we went 1-0 down. We threw everything at them, but we looked tired. We looked fatigued. Lots of key players. Um, you know, Sam Kerr was obviously battling soreness in the lead-up to this game, played the full game. Tamiki Allop, Ellie Carpenter, um, Steph Catley and Emily Van Egmont had all played every minute as well. And those players just seemed to get tighter as the game went on. Like, full credit to them all for the way they went about it, especially Tamiki Allop, who was terrific. But it just... It just hurt, you know, like it was one where we had a chance to go up. It got ripped away from us. Sweden score like the most like flukiest, um, fortuitous sucker punch goal. And that ends up being the difference between two really good teams that absolutely went at it. Like, yeah, it hurts. And I imagine for those players, it's going to hurt for a while. But thankfully, we do have another game to look forward to. So, yeah, sad, tired, but... We'll bounce back. 
and in the big terms of the bigger picture you know it, it's been a great tournament for us yeah I, I, I'm sort of feeling weirdly proud like the fact that we're disappointed is an amazing thing to feel like because it says that we genuinely thought we had a shot here you know and Sweden have been the best team in the tournament by quite a, a way they're gold medal favorites now Tony Gustafsson said that Sweden have been the best side in in the Olympics and their first half specifically against the U.S. women's national team was the best half of football that he has seen that women's team ever play, which is an extraordinary compliment coming from someone like him who has been on the U.S. women's national team coaching staff, you know, has been in that winning side. So, yeah, like the fact that we are feeling sad sort of speaks to how brilliantly the Matildas have actually performed over the course of this whole thing and how well they performed in this game against Sweden. Like it's, it's really clear to me that they learned a lot of lessons from that 4-2 loss in the group stage, that Tony was able to make the kinds of tactical changes and shifts in order to uh, shore up the weaknesses that that group, the group game exposed in, in our, um, in our team. And for the most part, it worked. You know, Sweden very rarely had opportunities to do the kinds of attacking, fluid, dynamic kinds of moves that they did against us in that group stage. And as you said, Harry, their only goal came through a real jammy, just sort of spinny, shitty thing. Like sometimes that's just what happens, right? That's football. And that's what sort of Sam Kerr and a lot of the other players said afterwards. But the fact that we played so well that they had to rely on effectively the luck of the spin to get the winning goal says so much about how well we performed, even though we were clearly so exhausted. Our players had some of the the least rotation, I think, in terms of squad and starting 11 of any team that got to this stage. So like, yeah, I'm sad, but I'm also like, I'm really happy that we feel sad because it shows that we're really believing in this team and this team really believes in themselves as well. And that's, I think, a, a, a really fabulous uh, sort of conclusion that we can take from this tournament, regardless of what happens next. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. <laughs> yeah, it, it was nice to not have mental illness for for a couple of days there um but yeah just glad that I was in that position in the first place um no I joke mental I don't want to put that kind of burden on the Matildas um but yeah in the same boat and I think it's good to just be like sad about the result rather than feeling like you're being sad about the situation surrounding the team like it we're going with the tide now not against the tide and we'll talk about this at a later point, like reflect on the tournament more holistically, I suppose. But um, yeah, it, it, and we were in for a shot and that, that feels good that we were, we could have won that, I think. Um, Yeah. And I, (laughs) we talked about this pre-pod as well. Like we're all like exhausted. So imagine being the athletes actually you know, running and kicking and, and doing all of that jazz. They, I can't imagine how they're feeling. I truly hope that they got to have a lovely little sleep in today and that they're going to do some self-care and then they're going to regroup and they're going to have a little break before they even start thinking about the bronze medal match. But yeah, um, I, my prediction for the next few days, I, I'll probably be listening to All Too Well by Taylor Swift um, quite a bit, but I'll get over it. 
you know, I'll get there. So yeah, it's fantastic to even be in this position. And just touching on um, the point about minutes and minutes in legs, friend of the pod, Tom, he did some opted Tom now. He did some some quick maths. Very very happy, and he shared it with us and said we could use it on the pod. So I think it's worth noting that so Sweden they've been able to rotate a lot of their players in, and they're working with a lot more depth. I think in their squad, Marissa has talked about this before as well. We've got a lot of width. We've got players who can cover a lot of positions, but that doesn't necessarily help if you're playing a really intense tournament like the Olympics and you actually need fresh legs. Um, and so their average minutes across the board for Sweden was 253 and a half. And then for us, it was like 306 minutes, 0.7. I don't know what that translates into um, for like across the squad. So that's quite significant. That's like 60. Oh God, maths. 60 around there. Clearly not my strong point in terms of the additional minutes on average that we've had. And that's even, and that's taken into account Chloe Legazo as well, who would have brought that down. So yeah, it is what it is. Um, and something to think about, I suppose, moving forward, how we can, yeah, get that, that depth in the squad, but for the time being, a great result. Well, not a great result, but overall it was nice that we were there in the first place. Anna. Yeah, I was going to pull up the stats from Friend of the Pod Tom. We were also talking about how, um, before recording me and Friend of the Pod Tom, about um, how you look at the number of games that have been crammed in here, three group games, um, quarterfinal, semifinal. The only difference with the World Cup is there would have been a round of 16. But look how many games, like once you include this bronze medal match, it will be the equivalent of playing a World Cup group games through to the semifinal, right? But instead of doing it over a month, you're doing it over the course of about two weeks. It's just back up, back up, back up, back up. And, um, yeah, of course, Chloe Lagaza was the outlier in those numbers. But we saw a bunch of players like Catley, I mentioned before, Catley Carpenter, um, Van Egmont and Kerr, like, played every minute bar, obviously, well, actually, including Carpenter got sent off in the final minute, which we'll talk about in a minute. But Tamiki Allop played came off in this game but previously had played I think every minute as well like these players did so much running and hard work and they just must have been yeah so incredibly fatigued And at the end of the day Sweden's incredible first up performance against the US gave them the luxury to be able to rotate they banked a win where it was always going to be speculative in terms of the result a huge win 3-0 got some goal difference as well and they were able to rotate throughout the group games whereas we probably needed to put New Zealand away earlier, make that a far more comprehensive victory and maybe get um, some minutes into some other players. We also, when you look at our squad, Elise Callan Knight clearly didn't get up in the end to play any minutes. Um, I'm sure she would have played an incredible leadership role behind the scenes and on the training pitch and those sorts of things. Courtney Nevin and Charlie Grant um, evidently weren't quite ready to step up unless they had some sort of niggles or something. And then there's also two goalkeepers on the bench. So like... Of the squad of 22, you're effectively using 17, like <laughs> most of the time, 18 if you include Lydia Williams playing one game. So we're still, um, you know, I guess a bit limited in terms of that. We had players put in huge loads and just in terms of the, the high stakes nature of all of our games, our players went through huge loads. And while they tried to downplay that a little bit in the lead up to this game, um, I know that there would obviously have um, 
there was some talk about players being sore, they all fronted up again and it's a real credit to them. But we did see those players tire. We saw Steph Catley get tired. She had that terrific touch for that shot that she ended up putting at Lindahl at the near post. If she's got fresher legs, does she go low? Does she try and get a cross goal? Maybe, but she must have just been knackered at that point. Um, Sam Kerr looked gassed by the end, but to her credit was still drawing two or three players every time she went near the ball, which... Again, if we weren't so fatigued, maybe we'd have been able to pick out some more spaces. And I think, and we'll talk about the Ellie Carpenter red card at the end where she's um, dragged down Lena Hertig as the the last defender. You go, there was no time left to score an equaliser, but Ellie Carpenter's fatigued. She's a desperate sort of player, gives everything every game. Maybe in the back of her mind, she thinks, if I can pinch this ball and we can get it back up there, maybe we can get an equaliser and go again. And that's, that's the sort of mindset these players have. So, yeah. I really liked what you said, Sam. Like, we, when we previewed this tournament, we were going, yeah, you know, we should get out of the group stage. Who knows, will we, will we win a quarterfinal? We'll get to a semifinal. Huge. So we've done that. We've reached the huge level of what, in terms of what we were expecting. And it took a jammy as goal from the best team in the tournament. And this is Sweden's tournament. Like, silver at the last Olympics, they pushed through to get bronze at the World Cup. And this is the one where they said, we're going to be the team that defines this tournament. And they have. They started on fire. No one else had even got close to them. We're the team that took it right up to them, took the lead against them in the group stage, and then should have taken the lead, arguably, against them in this game. And we only lost 1-0. Like, you, you can't ask for too much more from that. This time we fell short. The luck didn't spin our way. But you can't be anything but proud of the way they went about it. Yeah, as Tony said, you're disappointed with the result, probably bitterly disappointed with the result. But you can't be anything but proud of the way they went about it, even if at the end they were completely gassed and just trying to hit long balls. Like They did everything they could. They threw everything at it. Sweden didn't have a heap of chances, but they converted the one that they, they really, really got down pat. And I think there's no shame in the way we go out of, of the semifinal. This is one of the things that is a little bit sort of annoying to me in terms of the I guess the the discourse after the loss is that a lot of people particularly in my comments have been criticizing the Matildas uh for doing lots of long balls particularly towards the end of the game I'm like well you know put yourself in their shoes like you are exhausted you cannot actually do the kind of running the kind of ball play that you think is worthy of being able to win this game like you you are at the end of your tether you are beyond exhausted like this is also part of the game plan in a lot of ways Sam Kerr is one of the best aerial threats in the world can you blame them for wanting to pump the ball long and see if she's because that's how she's scored majority of her goals in this Olympics is in the air like I, I don't blame them at all for wanting to go route one in some circumstances like that but even then it wasn't all the time Hayley Russo down the down the wings, you know Steph Catley when she was given a bit more license to go forward down the wings, pumping crosses in. Kate Ford, they were doing lots of different kinds of attacking moves, but you know by the end of the game, of course, you're just going to pump along in the same way that Sweden did, you know. And who can blame them? They're fucked. They're exhausted. So that was yeah. That that it's sort of I don't like it when I guess fans cherry pick. Uh, from things like this in order to sort of shore up their own criticism of a team um, without sort of looking at the, at the bigger picture and the context of why perhaps some things are happening and why some decisions have been made. 
Um, and not to sort of like sort of distend the point, but can you imagine if they, these teams had to go through this with the original 18 players that the Olympics had asked them to do? Like this was an extended squad of 22 and they only gave them that luxury because of the pandemic. And it's starting to make me question why, why are we asking these players to condense this football into this extremely short space of time to the detriment of the players and to the detriment of the football? Because like, yeah, once you get to your fifth game in two weeks, you are going to start just bombing it long and hoping because you are you, like, you can't really do anything else. You're physically incapable of doing anything else. Like these obviously are elite athletes and this is their job, but ask anyone to do anything close to the physical, like sort of uh, output that these players have done. And I don't think anyone can blame them for doing what they did. So yeah, I, I sort of, I, I question why, why the Olympics doesn't either extend the, the squad sizes permanently or why they don't extend the length of the tournament in itself. Because like, ultimately you want, you want it to be good football. You want it to be competitive football. You want it to be the kind of football that people across the country, across the world are going to tune in for, that they're going to remember forever. And there have been a number of games towards the pointy end of this women's football tournament where, you know, games have been pretty shit. <laughs> like the USA Canada game, you know, all credit to Canada, but that was a real snooze fest. And I think a large part of it is because both teams were exhausted. So yeah, you, you know, I have to, when I think about this sort of stuff and when I try to analyze and assess the performances of teams at, at this sort of length of time in the tournament, I have to always keep in mind the structure that they're being forced to play in, the things that they have no control over. Um, so squad size and, and the, the sort of the length of the tournament, the calendar, I think really plays a part, as does obviously the climate of Japan, which is obviously taking a huge toll on them too. Let's crack into the disallowed goal for Sam Kerr. We, I'm like, how do we even begin to address this? Because it has rankled the feathers of everyone. I think I've mixed some metaphors there, but it's um, it's really gotten some reactions. So I would love all of your reactions. Hara, do you want to kick us off? I think everyone was just perplexed by it. Um, it's one of those ones where it's real sort of tiggy touchwood stuff from the ref. Like you look at some of the stuff in the post-match and by the letter of the law, Emily Van Egmond, and I think Chloe Legazzo is with her, is penalised for being in an offside position, making the blocking run, and the referee blows a whistle very, very early, which I think is why VAR can't get involved, and the goal gets ruled out. I think the biggest problem for most people was none of those players were anywhere near Sam Kerr, who volleys home Steph Catley's free kick at the near post. A great finish, really should have put the Matildas in front, it was just, you just felt the air go out of everyone, I think. Like, people were fuming, people were angry. I didn't understand it. I had um, a couple of people explain to me, like, it's been pinged. And I think it got mentioned on the broadcast. There are a few that got pinged like that in the A-League season. But it's, uh, you know, it's the offside players interfering, even though they're further down the line. The referee blew the whistle early. She called it, I think it was even before Kerr actually got her foot to the ball, which is unfortunate. But yeah, it's, it's just such a minor thing. And it was it was nowhere near the goal scorer. Like if you're going to see a goal ruled out, you hate to see it happen that way. It was a great finish. It was a great free kick from Steph. Um, Steph Catley actually was in the press conference post-match and said the ref wouldn't actually <laughs> speak to her, but some of the other players might have spoken to her. And she didn't understand what was wrong with it. Tony Gustafson said he had to watch the replays to fully understand what was wrong with the call. Yeah, it just sucked, didn't it? Like, it was one of those ones where, yeah, to the letter of the law, foul, 
but in terms of what you see let go the pushing and shoving that happens in these situations all the time it didn't really look like Van Egmont and co got a proper sort of block in either I don't know if the ref had uh, you know worded them up beforehand about not doing it so it was extra sensitive on the whistle but geez they were nowhere near Sam Kerr and it it just hurt it just really really hurt and you could you could feel everyone was just yeah it like I said it took the wind out of everyone's sails Sam I think the thing that most frustrated me about it was that it seemed completely inconsistent with a lot of the refereeing across the rest of the tournament. Like, as you said, Harrow, there have been so many moments like this for so many teams in so many games where players have run into each other or there has been a situation where players have stood in an offside position and haven't moved and players have clattered into them, which haven't been called. And so for it to be called now in such a, a, a crucial moment for this game, a, a game where if that goal had been allowed, I feel like the, the momentum would have started to shift back into the Matilda's favour. You know, that's, that's I think, the most disappointing part about it. Like, I understand why it was interpreted in the way that it was. Um, Michael Cox, who is a, a sort of foremost expert on football tactics, uh, explained it on on Twitter. He sort of put a, t- a tweet up with a screenshot of the moment, and he, he broke it down um, from the referee's perspective. And like, f- like fair enough. That's that's fine. I get that. And like, weird sort of shout out to the ref for being so on point to recognize that as it was happening in the space of like a second. Um, but yeah, it was just the the lack of consistency. I think across the the whole tournament for me that that was most frustrating. You know what was frustrating as well, Sam, was we saw multiple times, I think Georgie Omendal actually called out on the broadcast, that rule that pained us so much in the World Cup about offsides not being flagged until another player plays at the ball. And we saw mm. Ellie Carpenter make a couple of big challenges that she really didn't need to make because players were offside. So you can wait to make a decision based on those things just in case the ball stayed onside and those sorts of things. But the referee can't wait to see how that plays out to be 100% certain. Like Sam Kerr's buried that finish. She's not affected at all by what those players are doing. If it was a player right next to Sam Kerr or nearby blocking a run near her, you could understand. You'd be like, yep, fair. The Sweden players aren't exactly throwing their arms up in remonstration. And I think anyone that sort of was throwing their arms up was like, oh, is it our ball? Is it this? Is there an offside? You know, all these sorts of things. It didn't seem like anyone was actively like, they blocked our run. (laughs) like that was what was so frustrating about it and you just felt like could the referee have held on a moment and you have the benefit of the VAR you have the lines people let the ball go in the back of the net and then blow the whistle and you can sort of have the assistance of the VAR if you need it I mean I don't think anyone this pod is a huge VAR fan but it just seemed odd to me because given the whistle was blown so early and I don't know if she just blew early and then you just can't change what you're doing it yeah it, it just sucked and I think you looked at the response um beyond the just flat out we was robbed there was the frustration there was the confusion and it's just a, a shit way to have a goal ruled out to be honest and the referee like the thing is that the referees were obviously encouraged to utilize VAR right because there were so many other moments in the game where the lines people kept their flags down even for like moments that were so clearly offside because they were told to like give VAR a chance to do its thing. And that's fine. But like the fact that obviously that message didn't get through to all the referees in those kinds of moments is yeah. Like it's, uh, uh, that's it. That's all. That's my feelings is just angry grunting. 
we got we got a bit of Noah's Husto in the Harrington household last night, Sam. A lot of Noah's Husto. <laughs> what does that mean, Anna? Sorry, I don't speak Spanish. It's not fair. <laughs> ah, okay. I agree. How do you say it? Noah's Husto. Noah's Husto. Mm, that's my that's my humble onion on that. I don't know. I, Is that the I, pod title? <laughs> I think it should be. Um, I don't. I don't really have anything to add. I sort of stay in my lane when these sorts of things happen because I'm like, oh, I didn't know that was a rule. I probably shouldn't have an opinion on it. Um, maybe that's just the woman in me. Um, We've mentioned it a couple of times, so I want to kind of just get it out of the way because it doesn't require deep analysis. The Ellie Harpenter red card. It was dumb. It was really dumb. She knows that. We don't need to kind of say anything new about it. So if anyone would like to offer a brief point on the Ellie Carpenter Red and then we can move right along. I mean, it was just a more dramatic version of the Alana Kennedy one against Norway at the World Cup and a more arguably clear-cut decision for the referee. Hertig gets released on the break. Carpenter's desperate to get back, I mentioned before, and pulls her down and... We talked about some refereeing decisions being, you know, contentious. This wasn't, this was an easy decision um, for Melissa Borjas um, to make. Straight red every day of the week. Ellie Carpenter knew it. Sweden Bench knew it. And she's unavailable. The key thing here is she is unavailable for the bronze medal match, which will just be devastating for her and the Matildas. Um, that's, that's why it really hurts. Like it was literally in the, in the dying seconds didn't need to do it. As I mentioned before, fatigue's probably played a role in her decision-making then. At the end of the day, I think we all agree it would have been better going 2-0 down in this game and having Ellie Carpenter for the next. But it's not going to be a moment that defines her tournament because she's been fantastic throughout and she is one of the key reasons why we got this far in the first place. Her versatility playing and developing as a as a right-sided centre-back has just been tremendous. She's just got better and better. She's absolutely worked her ass off all tournament. And you always expect that from Ellie Carpenter. She went in a few barnstorming runs. She generally has defended astutely. And we would have gone down 2-0 regardless if she didn't make this incredible challenge on Rolfo in about the 72nd minute, I think. So, yeah, still a little moment of madness from Ellie Carpenter, late, fatigued, having played every minute of the tournament. You feel for her, she won't play the bronze medal match. But, yeah. I can't be too critical, to be honest. Like, it's rough, but she's 21 and she'll learn from it as she seems to learn from every little difficulty or setback that's happened in her 50-game career, actually. It was a 50th Matildas game by the age of 21 last night. So, yeah, that's it for me. Yeah, absolutely. Like, she, she's never going to do that ever again, I think. You know, this was the moment that she had to, had to be the, the sort of formative learning opportunity for her. She is probably never going to do that again, unless perhaps the stakes are a lot higher. Um, but she didn't need to, you know, and I think she'll realise that after the fact, after she's out of this sort of emotional haze of that game. Um, yeah, and it's it's amazing. Her 50th cap, she's the second youngest Matilda to ever reach 50 caps um, at the age of 21. So that's extraordinary. And coincidentally, it was also Kai Simon's 100th cap for Australia, which I thought was really lovely. And another player who I think has had a really great tournament and perhaps has been a little bit under discussed in that, not by us, obviously, because we are big fans, but underappreciated, but from a lot of other people in terms of how well she's, she's done considering where she came from. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's what happens, you know, that's football sometimes. And, uh, Ellie's going to learn from it. I think what, 
is the interesting question now is how Tony's going to respond to the loss of Carpenter in terms of how he sets up for the USA game because Carpenter was, I think, by quite a way, one of the top two or three Matildas across their whole Olympic campaign. I just thought she was extraordinary and she has displayed so much more maturity, ironically, despite the red card, and versatility uh, than what she has, I think, in previous major tournaments. So I've been just so impressed with her. Um, but, you know, her her key attributes, the speed, the physicality, her ability to bomb long, those things are now missing from that side of the field for the Matildas. So I'd be curious about all your thoughts. If you're Tony Gustafson, what do you do against the USA to replace Ellie Carpenter? I think the emotional reaction to um, Ellie Carpenter getting the red, like, oh, you silly girl, why did you do that? But it's like the, that's, for me, it's like that annoyance is thinking about the the gap that she's going to leave and that in a way you can spin that in the fact that she is like now essential for this team in a lot of ways. And I'm quite, I, that was my instant thought as well as like, what are we going to do without her? We really need you out there and her capabilities and what she's added this tournament. Yeah. Can't be understated, I suppose. So that was in the moment for me. Um, what do you do if you're Tony in this situation? It's a, re- it's a really good question. Uh, I don't know. I'm just thinking of like, because we have Polks and we have Ivy Lewick, but my preference wouldn't be to put both of them at centre back because then you lose all of that sort of bombing energy, I suppose, that Ellie Carpenter provides in that space. Um, I'm assuming that Rasso is probably going to have to go like right back again. And I, it's not my favorite combination or, or position for her, but yeah, I'm not sure. I'll need to bring up a list of the players to provide a more comprehensive answer there. Anna, what do you reckon? It's a difficult one because we talked just then about how gassed so many of those players looked like there's at least a three full days between games this time around like it's Monday to Thursday whereas before it's been sort of two days and for pro athletes that can be enough to get the bodies up and about again somewhat it will kind of depend on what personnel is available I think if she's right to start Claire Polkinghorn just comes straight back in to the to that sort of back three Steph Catley will have to play as part of a back three like I don't think there's any alternative really and Catley looked tired too by the end of that especially when she had to go out wide so I think in terms of preserving her a bit might be better to keep her central um I mean we've got Laura Brock there they pulled her on late if Polkinghorn's not right to start and we want to have a a tall player in there she's there she's not quick either but I think Ivy Lewick must be the slowest of who we've got and that's me citing absolutely no data <laughs> it's just me doing a little bit of an eye check so um they threw Laura Brock on late to release Kennedy up the field late last night which you know I, I don't think that was ever going to deliver a goal but anyway so they do have that option I think the logical one is probably to to bring Polkinghorn if fit back into centre back if not they'll either bring on one of Lewick or Brock to come in and play in a back three with Kennedy and Catley and then depending on how, like, Tamiki Allop hopefully can get up again because she was sensational last night. I just thought she was brilliant. She's had a brilliant tournament. 
I think there were people sort of questioning her inclusion, not on this pod because we're wonderful, um, pre-tournament, questioning her inclusion in the squad based on some of her form in those friendlies, having not played a Matildas game in more than a year, having not been playing in Europe because of personal reasons. Like she's a sensational player and... I thought she was one of our best last night. Playing in that um, left wing back role, she just went and went and went. She put in this amazing ball for Sam Kerr, like just two or three minutes after the disallowed goal that could just like flicked past the post. But she was brilliant. So hopefully she can get up again because she was brilliant in that left back role. Um, Hayley Razzo, I think is probably, if she's fit, going to play right wing back. And it really depends on who's fit. Chloe Legazzo, we mentioned earlier, is sort of the outlier in terms of our minutes. She was excellent against the US. She goes and goes. So I would imagine she's going to come into midfield. The other thing is, how is Emily Van Egmond going to be, having been one of those players that's played every minute? Because if she's not right to go or to start or to play a full game, maybe we will see Brock come into centre-back and Ivy Lewick play in midfield in terms of giving a bit of a chop out. So there's a few different possibilities. Like I mentioned before, we haven't seen Nevin or Grant play, so I don't know if we will see that at some point. Obviously, they're wide players who could play wing-back if they want to throw them into the fray at some point. Um, Elise Kellen-Knight doesn't look like she's got up. So, yeah, I mean, the most logical thing for me is Polkinghorne comes in at centre-back if she's right to start, and then any other changes are kind of going to depend on who's right to go, having had such a heavy workload over these uh, openings. Maybe Kara Cooney-Cross, could she come straight into midfield if given she's been used as a sub? It's all going to depend, I think, on who's got the, the, the freshest legs. And Sammy mentioned before in terms of the quality of games, look how much the USA have changed their starting 11 throughout the, the games with a lot of older players, I imagine, needing to preserve their legs a little bit. So I don't envy them making these calls. I always say this, but... I'm glad I can just sort of speculate from here rather than having to make the decisions. Yeah, I think you both covered it really well. Um, I think probably bringing Polkinghorne into centre-back and then shifting Alana Kennedy to right centre-back role seems like the most logical approach, especially because I think Kennedy has played very well in the last two games in particular. She's been really, um, really composed, really solid, and I think she also offers a different kind of attacking threat uh, in terms of her ability to like send absolute pinging long field and cross field passes around um, that can maybe compensate for Ellie Carpenter not being there. But I guess the the question for me is speed because one of the big reasons I think Carpenter had been reeled into that central center back sort of role is because she is the quickest and she was able to compensate for the slower pace of a Kennedy and of a Polkinghorn. So I'd be curious to see how Hayley Rasso is deployed. I think that when she was used at right back um, in one of the, the pre-Tokyo friendlies, she performed quite well um, and she was able to bomb up and down and do that. But again, you lose that sort of forward momentum that she provides. And I think against Sweden um, last night, she, she was one of the more dangerous uh, sort of wide attacking players in that sense. So yeah, I mean it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, but I I'm I sort of have faith. I, I feel like a lot of people have faith now. I think we have more faith in Tony and we have more faith in this team than what we did at the start of this tournament. I think that he knows his players enough now to be able to make the smartest decisions and in taking all of these things into account, all the stuff that we've been talking about. And he's coming up against his old his old side, his old US Women's National Team. He's going to know these players inside and out. He's going to know what they're wanting to do, how they're wanting to exploit 
what they were able to discover against us in the group stage as well. So it's going to be an interesting sort of bluffing, double bluffing type of situation. And I think it's it's also going to be uh, interesting to see how Vladko and Andonovsky responds to that, because I think it's an interesting sort of juxtaposition in the sense that uh, the sort of the belief and the spirit that uh, is sort of coursing through this Matilda's team as a result of, of Tony's really good work is sort of in, in uh, it's going in the opposite direction to what feels like the faith in, in Andonovsky and the US Women's National Team. The discourse that's been coming out after their loss to Canada uh, last night has just been diabolical. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to depend on a lot of things and some of it is going to be involved in the US Women's National Team itself, their confidence, how they're feeling about themselves and how Antonovsky decides to respond uh, to, to the upcoming challenge. Sam, I love what you said there about in terms of the Matilda's belief. I thought it was a really good quote from Steph Catley last night when she got asked about, um, I mean, how do you sum up the 90 minutes? And she obviously said they were disappointed. Um, but we obviously came here with the ultimate goal of making the final and winning gold, but we have to refocus pretty quickly because we came here to win a medal and we've still got that opportunity. And then this is the best bit. The football we're playing right now is incredible. And I'm so proud of the girls and the effort and the way that we go about it and the way that we're playing. I've never had this feeling with this team before in terms of the belief and genuinely thinking we are capable of beating anyone on any given day. So it will be another test for us, but I think we're definitely up for it. So disappointed right now, but onto the next. So just that line about never had that feeling with the Matildas. And Steph Catley has played for the Matildas for a very long time under multiple coaches. So the belief that they can beat anyone any given day. And Kaya Simon talked about it the other day in a press conference in terms of what Tony has brought and in terms of taking it up to anyone. And you can see that that is just coursing through this entire team. And we touched on it earlier, the fact that we're disappointed, Sam, you said it so well. The fact that we're disappointed means we believe we could do it. We believe we could beat Sweden. We believe we could have been in that gold medal match. And we've got no reason to believe we can't beat the US. Like it was a dour stalemate last time we played. No reason we can't be the team to go on and beat them this time around. We've taken it up to, to everyone so far. We've gone our hardest. Yeah, we've been fatigued, but so will they. They look just as knackered at the end of that Canada game as we've looked. The one thing I will say is I think Chloe Legazzo has to start. She was tremendous against the US last time we played. If we need to compensate for a lack of speed by losing Carpenter in the middle of that defence, you've got to have Chloe Legazzo there to make those tracking runs. She made another brilliant one. I think it was in the 14th minute last night to deny Sweden a shot on goal. And we saw how she did that against Alex Morgan in the US game as well. Have to have her there. If Tamiki Ellis fits, she's got to play as well. We're going to need our runners. We're going to need, um, yeah, to, <laughs> to be re ready to go with them athletically. But there's no reason to believe we can't. Let's get a medal. And the thing for me now as well is that we can actually just go all out because we don't have to think about minutes. We don't have to think about the next stage. This is it. This is the final game. We can absolutely go ham and 110% as if we haven't, I say that as if we haven't been doing that already, but this, like, this is the moment for, for all of these players to just give their last possible drop of energy to, to this campaign. And it, even if they fall short, it is no failure at all to lose to the team ranked number one in the world, to the team that has won the vast majority of the gold medals in the Olympics since women's football was introduced. Like, 
I, I, like, I, I just can't, I, the way that I think about this, like, because of where this team came from, because of how this team started, the copying the 10 goals in the first two friendlies, everything they've had to overcome to get to this point has just been incredible. So I'm going to go into the US game, the bronze medal game, just, like, just wanting to enjoy it, just wanting the players to enjoy it. And I feel like the players enjoyed it last night against Sweden. We saw them laughing and chatting and grinning and just having a really great time after the anthems before the game actually started to play. And that's what feels so different about this side. And like, not to sort of bang on the point any more than what you what has already sort of been happening, but, you know, the Gustafsson after the game was so deeply emotional about the result because and when we spoke to Grace Gill after the win against Great Britain and we spoke about how Gustafsson had celebrated some of those goals and how how important it is to have a coach to have someone to have a leader there who really deeply genuinely believes in you I think that that is the biggest change that this Matilda's side have gone through like we can talk about tactics we can talk about players we can talk about all this stuff but it's just this feeling this belief that he has brought to this side and has made them genuinely understand that they are world-class and that they are capable of doing anything and that's something that I, I I'm gonna like be grateful for for Tony forever for I think just look at to name two players, and I will name a third as well, that have clearly benefited. Tegan Micah, Tony has probably given her debut. Right now, she's our number one. And full credit to, we mentioned Lydia Williams in the last pod and how she and Mackenzie Arnold would have handled that. But Tegan Micah hasn't put a foot wrong too often since she's had the faith put in it. Mary Fowler, just she was one of the highlights of last night again when she came on. She just looked like she could create. She obviously wheeled around and put that shot wide. And anytime the ball went near her, she just looked like she was going to do something good with it. Um, yeah, mentioned Micah, made some good saves, has just grown throughout the tournament. And even Kara Cooney-Cross, she came on yesterday and had that run late where she tried to pick out Sam Kerr. Maybe with a bit less fatigue, we could have seen, could have seen a goal there. They've all come in and looked like they belonged. And that's another really exciting thing that I think we'll take forward going into the Asian Cup, going into, you know, future friendlies and ultimately going into 2023. We've, we've seen the belief come back into this team as a whole, but we've also seen those new players come in and really inject something special. And I think that's one thing we'll also take away. And I know we said we'll do a more comprehensive wrap after the bronze medal match, but based on what we've seen so far, there's just so much to like about this team. I think, um, sorry, when you were saying that you have faith, Sam, I think you need to know that I'm going to be putting your face over George Michael's face, right? It's just inevitable. <laughs> um, also, I just wonder if, like, maybe Tony's the secret ingredient because, like, the US had him and they had that mentality and now mm. we've got him and we've got it. We've got a good mentality. So, no, you can't have him back now. We've, we've got it. Um, but, yeah, no. And I agree with what you said. And it's also really exciting to, like, everyone loves the Matildas, right? But the fact that Tony has also gotten everyone's buy well, not everyone's, there's going to be outliers there, but everyone's buying into what Tony is bringing to this team as well. And that's really fantastic. Um, I think it just, may- yeah, it brings everyone along. And, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it, it, can't can't be disappointed. 
really. Let's quickly talk about the other semi-final and what's to come in this Olympics. I think most of us watched this game before the Matildas game. Um, it felt like the US, uh, they had the better of the chances throughout the, the day. They dominated possession. We know how resolute Canada's defence has been all tournament. That didn't change. Full credit to Bev Priestman and her team for doing as much. The um, They got... They got a penalty off the back of a VAR decision when Kelly O'Hara probably made a bit of a reckless challenge and Jesse Fleming stepped up. Actually, beautiful moment where, of course, uh, AD French was in goal because Alyssa Nair suffered a knee injury early in the game. So she's having to step up and deal with the penalty. Looked like Christine Sinclair was going to take it, but they're, of course, Portland Thorns teammate. So in this really nice sort of passing the baton gesture, she's given the ball over to Jesse Fleming, who steps up and just like, as cool as you like, buries it. Bit of squeaky bum time for Canada, but they get home and in the process just eradicate all the what-ifs of years gone. That 2012 match against the US where Abby Wombat counted to six and all the various, I think it was about 20 years they'd gone without beating the US, just eradicated in one of the great performances of Canadian football. As for the US, I mean, this is a tournament where they've what won two games and only one of them in regular time. It's, it's just been an absolute nightmare almost from go to woe, bar penalties against the Netherlands and a, a 6-1 win against New Zealand. So full credit to Canada. And I mean, if there's ever a time to get the US, it's now. Could bite me. They could be absolutely singing and come out firing on all cylinders. But if you're the Matildas, you go, let's rub some salt in the wound. Sam? I'm, I'm so happy for Canada. Not just because Canada are just a real, they're just a real nice bunch of people, you know. But Christine Sinclair is out and out the most extraordinary goal scorer that international football, male or female, has ever seen. And this is going to be probably her last ever Olympics. It may even be her last ever major tournament. And for her to be able to go out on a high of a guaranteed gold or silver medal just fills me with so much joy. And the other thing I think that's worth mentioning is that it is uh, going to be the first time that an out trans athlete wins a medal, has a guaranteed medal in any Olympic sport. So Quinn, who plays for the Canadian national team, uh, recently came out as a trans person, going to be the first out trans person to win a medal. So that's just extraordinary. And I kind of love how completely normal it is like the commentators have for the vast majority I think of of those Canadian matches uh stuck to Quinn's preferred pronouns um and it, they have just sort of been folded into you know the normal the normal go and woe of, of football like this is how easy it is so yeah I think that's a that's a really important moment so I'm I'm really stoked for Canada I'm stoked for Quinn and I'm stoked for Christine Sinclair because she deserves all that and more it's just they're just nice people, eh, Sam? Canadians? So nice, eh? Yeah. So nice, eh? But also, full credit to Jessie for pulling off an absolutely sick knee slide for her celebration. Like, one of those ones where she just skidded on and on and on. Like, young player, like, the, the almost will be the face of Canada once Christine Sinclair retires, steps up in the big moment. This team has a, has a history with penalties too. Remember against Sweden in the World Cup where Janine Becky had her penalty saved. So for Fleming to step up and just B 
bury it. Like she hit it so hard. It was just fantastic. Um, huge moment for Canada. And full credit to Bev Priestman, her first um, international tournament as head coach. She worked under Phil Neville with England and she's already surpassed him as a head coach. She's <laughs> into the final of a major tournament. So full credit to her and the defensive fortitude of this Canadian team throughout. Um, I don't think many people would have tipped them to make the final. I know I wouldn't have. So full credit to them. And yeah, it should be, oh, it's going to be a belter of a final, isn't it? I still think Sweden are the, are the favourites, but who knows? Olympic football, it's chaotic. Who, who are we going for? Like, I just want everyone go- to have a good time. Sam, <laughs> no, that's a lie. You're going for Canada. I, like- no, for Canada because Christine Sinclair is a goddess. That's, that's, that's my opinion. Okay. Uh, see, I take the more cynical approach of Sweden, one, because they've been the best team and they seem to deserve it, but two, if we get knocked out by the team that goes on to win it and is the team of the tournaments and even bigger endorsement. Yeah, sure, isn't sure. Isn't it? Like, regardless, they've had a fantastic tournament. But I, for me, this feels like Sweden's tournament. Um, Kanda have been fantastic. and yeah, good on them if they go on to win, but Sweden have just been amazing. Like, and I struggle to see anything but them getting the job done. A bit yeah. of ruthless Scandinavian efficiency. Not the Germans anymore. Also, did you say squeaky bum? Anna, what was that phrase? You said Canada. Squeaky bum time. Everyone's favourite time. So what time is that? What happens? You've just got to hang tough and not concede a goal, basically. Does it mean that you're clenching your butt cheeks? Is that what it means? Like you're clenching your butt cheeks and you're running and it's squeaking? Is that... I'm asking genuine questions here. This is an informative podcast. We need to bring people up to speed if we're using weird phrases like squeaky bum time. I think it's meant to be more of a nervous like type of uh, (laughs) this is not going in the episode, please, God. Oh, it has to. Like, Get myself on mute just so some I didn't have to answer that one. No, I'm so sorry to my family. I'm sorry to my country. <laughs> oh dear. Okay, I'm sorry I brought it up. Let's just walk away. Um, Marissa, it, who are you going for in the final? I haven't even said who I'm going for, but you, you may answer first. Okay, fair enough. Um, I think Sweden. Because I'm sort of, I, I was about to say, I, it would be really nice to touch on our favourite sort of narratives um, once the Olympics are done. But in terms of Sweden, I wonder if this is sort of like not just for the Olympics, but moving forward, if we're going to see a new dynasty in women's football, and this might just be the start of it. So potentially, um, but yeah, it's it's hard though, because it would be like lovely to see Christine Sinclair win a gold medal and Adriana Leon. <laughs> I like her. She's, she's good. Marissa? Back on our, our previous discussion, Angela, because I just added in, um, SB Nation actually did a little story in 2012 called What is Squeaky Bum Time? So uh, apparently English Oxford Dictionary called it tense final stages of a league competition, especially from the point of view of the leaders. It seems to go back to when Sir Alex Ferguson was coaching Manchester United. 
but I particularly uh, enjoyed these two definitions. One was they cited from a website called Phrases, says that the illusion is to the sound made by squirming in one's seat as one's team's fortunes wax and wane. But they also went to their favourite definition from, of all places, Urban Dictionary. Old Glaswegian saying for on the verge of shitting yourself. <laughs> so really up to you, Angela. Okay. It just rem- like it's completely unrelated, but when I was growing up, my dad would say that I was such a tight ass that it squeaks when I walk. Like I don't like spending money on other people. And that's that's where the visuals were coming from. Um anyway. Thank you, Anna. It was, I thought SB Nation, as soon as you said that, I'm like, squeaky bum nation. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. we, what are we about? What do we stand for? <laughs> squeaky bums. Anyway, I contribute so much to this podcast. Um, <laughs> Marissa, who are you going for in the grand final? Let's get things back on track. Look, I think the thing we all need to, like, really remember is that in the gold medal match, the winner will not be the US. And are we not all winners based on that fact alone? But, but you, also, like, so right. So but right. also, like, that's the thing. I feel like there's a very strong heart narrative with Canada and there's also a very strong head narrative with Sweden. So I feel like, generally speaking, I don't mind who wins. I'm not there, like, foaming at the mouth, like, if they win, I'm never watching football again kind of thing. Like... Whoever wins, I think they will have deserved it. So it's going to be good. And good for Canada. They get to watch that gold medal match in prime time over there. So it's good. It worked out eventually for someone in North America, which is is good to see. But um, the game that this podcast will be particularly focused on is, of course, the bronze medal match. So Thursday evening, August 5th, 6 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 Central, 4 p.m. Western. I'm getting my time zone. Like this podcast is really teaching me time zones. But um, obviously we will have a big chat about that game and the tournament at large after that one. But hopefully we're able to, you know, chat to you all about the fact that the Tillies have gone and won a medal. So fingers crossed and we'll obviously speak to you then. But thank you for tuning in. We're on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. We're on Spotify, Google, Apple. Subscribe so that you get all of our Olympic stuff and everything that's coming after the Olympics as well. If you like it, leave a, a positive review if you can. Uh, if you want to chat to us, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, for the sixth time in about two weeks, go Tillies and see us. <laughs>